Good afternoon, everyone, and kia ora. Welcome to our final webinar looking at artificial intelligence and machine learning in patent asset management. In today's session, we'll provide an overview of two case studies in the use of machine learning and artificial intelligence to create decision support tools for patent asset management. We have more than 400 people registered for today's session. Thank you for joining us and welcome. My name is Anthony Lucchini. I'm a communications officer at Austerates. I'll be moderating today's session with Chin Dong Lee, who managed this project and will be moderating the Q&A section at the end of this webinar. I'd like to start by acknowledging the Treaty of Waitangi and Maori as the original people of New Zealand. I also acknowledge the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting today. Austroats is based in Sydney, and so today I am on the land, I am on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging, and to their deep and ongoing connection to the land. A bit about Austroats to get us started. We are the collective of Australasian transport and traffic agencies. Our focus is to support our member organisations to deliver an improved road transport network. And a little bit of housekeeping before we start. Our presenters will speak for 40 minutes today and then we'll have a Q&A session for 15 minutes at the end of the webinar. The slides, report and quick reference document can be downloaded from the handout section of your sidebar, which you will find on the right-hand side of your screen. To send us questions for the Q&A, please use the question icon on your sidebar. If your question relates to any particular slide, please include that slide number in your message. You'll find that on the bottom right-hand corner of the slide. That helps give context to your question and helps us answer it as best as we can. Also, let us know if you have any technical problems. But just a quick tip, if you lose sound or your picture freezes, the issue is most likely with your connection. Closing your browser and rejoining the session via your email registration usually helps. This session is being recorded and we will let you know when the recording is available on our website. If you listen to podcasts, you can also download Austroads in your postcard podcast app. I'm very pleased to introduce all to you all of our guests for today. Chi Dong Lee is the Asset Management Modelling and Analytics Manager at Main Roads Western Australia. He has over 20 years experience in pavement design and construction, maintenance planning, whole of life cycle costing analysis and performance modelling. He is the project manager for the Austroids publication we are discussing today. Tim Cross is WSP New Zealand's Technical Principal and Advisory Manager for Business Intelligence and Data Solution Delivery with specialisation in infrastructure asset management. Tim is also co-lead to the Transport Data Knowledge Hub for the Ministry of Transport New Zealand and lead digital advisor to several of New Zealand's national and local asset systems. He is a member of Engineering New Zealand and he is an AISACA Platinum member. Dr. David Rawlinson is a lead data scientist at WSP. He has completed a PhD from Monash University on mobile robot navigation using computer vision and has worked in academia at Melbourne University and National ICT Australia on a variety of biomedical imaging and genomic machine learning projects. A warm welcome to all of our presenters and now over to you, Chin Dong. Thank you, Anthony. In the following section, I will provide some background information on the project. The project was initiated by the Asset Task Force of Austro's Transport Infrastructure Program. 
the task force coordinates research projects that help asset managers to improve their practices. Boscapi is the program manager. I am the Austroads project manager for this project. Austroads also provide a project working group to assist the project. The members are experts from the state transport agencies, local governments, academia, and the consulting firms. Through the work project working group, the project can access data from the agencies and a rich pool of practical knowledge. Today, I would like to take this opportunity to thank our project working group members for their invaluable inputs and assistance to the project. WSP team has been working on the project since early 2021. Dr. David Rollinson and Tim Cross on technical needs you will meet today. The team also includes experts in many fields, such as the data science, asset management, asset modeling, your data, and the project management. The wide spectrum of the expertise is a key factor for the successful delivery of the project. During the project, I was so impressed by the team's professionalism and the passion on the work. They also demonstrated highly developed communication and a stakeholder engagement skill. On behalf of Australians, I thank WSB team for the excellent work. It was a great pleasure working with you on this challenging project. I also would like to send my thanks to our technical reviewers, David Payne and Sorosh Rashidi. So why the project? Most of the Austro's member agencies are undergoing a digital transformation. We considered that machine learning and AI models are the key tools to draw insights from data to help us capture corporate knowledge and to accelerate the rate of learning of our experienced staff. Unfortunately, the absence of a practical guide has hindered agency's ability in developing these models. Therefore, Osros decided to develop a guide that would be based on a methodology drawn from the best practice. The project deliverables include a quick reference pack, a research report, two webinars, and the source code of the case studies. The quick reference pack provides handy tools for project management. The pack aims to help people, even with a very limited machine learning and AI knowledge, can managing a project. A previous webinar has disseminated the methodology and the pack. You can watch in the recording on Austro's website if you missed it. The main report details the methodology and uses two case studies to demonstrate how the approach can be applied in real life situations. Today's webinar will focus on the two user cases. 
before concluding my part of the presentation, I would like to share three of my key learnings during the journey. First, the role of machine learning and AI is to support human decision makers to make better and faster decisions, not to replace them. Even in the era of the chat GPT, I feel that this is still valid. Second, communication with the project team is critical. We need to seek to understand before being understood. And a piece of advice, please make sure that you data scientists and the subject matter experts are using the same version of the dictionary. The last, this kind of a project requires an agile project management approach. As a civil engineer, I found this is a very challenge as the targets are not only moving but also changing, which seems against the project management principles I worshipped for so many years. Okay, it's time for the real stuff. Team, the floor is yours. Thank you, Chindong, and um, and thank you uh, for your uh, brilliant management and leadership for us, our team, uh, and wider and wider uh, group uh, through this project. Um, what I'm going to cover uh, now is our methodology, and this is a methodology that we've developed uh, directly for the benefits of of, of our project. Uh, and uh, if if you didn't attend uh, our webinar um, from the other day about success strategies, um, then I invite you to, to check that out. Uh, we covered uh, this particular methodology uh, in detail, but I will follow through again with, with that information. Um, so we're gonna, we're gonna, uh, gonna talk through the, these five steps of our methodology soon. Um, uh, but before then, just a recap around common obstacles to success. And this is particular to machine learning and artificial intelligence projects. Uh, it's a case of, of when, we're when we're defining and developing a project, we must be clear on defining a value proposition and ensuring that, that uh, in quantifying that, uh, that, uh, that you know, we are able to move forward and deliver on exactly what it is that we've defined. Uh, we should be focusing on demonstrating uh, or developing a solution rather than just a capability. Um, it's a case of, of if we have particular requirements defined and, and, and value that we want to deliver, we need to, we may realize certain things that at certain points in the project that may be very good, but we actually want to progress through to the very end, ensure that we're delivering uh, to what uh, we should be. Uh, we've got to be conscious of, of change that can occur during projects and Chindong touched on uh, agile project methodology uh, where, um, where there can be times when we need to uh, retune our scope in particular ways uh, and it's a case not to underestimate uh, what may be required in order to, to, uh, for us to be able to, to continue on that journey to the path of success with projects. Uh, and uh, the fourth point very, very uh, critical and very important is having business ownership of projects uh, that we can 
uh, work very well in delivering a very uh, effective technical solution. But if it doesn't line up with, with uh, the business investment uh, expectations, the value proposition, uh, then we may find ourselves not really achieving as much as we could. So now to our methodology uh, and uh, to start our requirements analysis step, the most crucial step, defining exactly what it is that we need to develop or, and uh, understanding the criticalities of requirements, understanding uh, what, what, what must be completed, what, what may be uh, of, of qualities that could come later, but being very clear on, on our priorities. Uh, and in that uh, as well, focusing around the problem statement and value proposition, ensuring that, that what it is that we set, set forward for ourselves is well-defined. Uh, we want to ensure um, in this developing an understanding of the solution interactions uh, that there will be between business systems and stakeholders, ensuring that we've got those things understood. Uh, and then how, how we will deliver value uh, through the process is really important too. Uh, so this, this whole space is really about establishing a, a fundamental plan from which we can work from. Uh, we need to be thinking whenever we're planning to with regards to risks and making sure that those risks are, uh, are well-defined uh, and uh, uh, not to forget to plan for post-proof of concept. Uh, it's quite, it can be uh, that we would think uh, only towards what we are working to now, but we need to be forward-thinking, future-thinking uh, to future-proof. Next in our methodology is data collection, pre-processing, and exploratory analysis. Uh, really, this space is where uh, we offer the, the biggest uh, labor ex expense in this effort um, because it's a case of ensuring that we have everything that we need uh, in order to be able to deliver effectively. Um, in this case, identifying and obtaining the data that we need, exploring, transforming, and then linking and integrating. Then into solution development, understanding the importance of the problem itself. You know, how will the solution work? How will it interact? What are the constraints? What are the limitations of what we'll be able to deliver to time? The most important thing is ensuring that we can, we can develop things that are, that are reproducible wherever we can, uh, and certainly allow uh, a, a, a shift and change um, in many use cases, from a manual to an automated outcome. Uh, then into model validation and assessment, looking at the solution that we've developed and then looking at the various data qualities of what we've created, ensuring that there's correctness in the validation of methodology uh, that, and the protocol is, is crucial. We need to test and check uh, and uh, uh, from our previous uh, presentation, uh, Dave covered a number of these particular areas uh, where, where we need to be checking. Um, so again, invite you to that webinar. Um, we need to consider implicit uh, errors such as data leakage and bias uh, as well, which can, uh, which can uh, create issues with the qualities of information that a model can produce. Uh, again, touched by Dave in our previous webinar. 
uh, and then uh, ensuring that we are measuring performance and able to do so under operational conditions. Uh, it's uh, you know it would be it's certainly good to be able to create something in theory, but we need to understand its performance in reality. And finally, outcomes and, and adoption. Uh, effectively, uh, the value proposition that we set forward and outcomes focused. It can be that our our efforts uh, are focused uh, only around thinking about out outcomes to the very end. The important thing is recognizing where we can uh, achieve value early, understand uh, through the whole process, mid-program -pro and to the end, uh, what we can do to deliver well. And, uh, and from here, uh, understanding once we've completed the project, how that will fully integrate within existing workflows and processes how it will integrate with, with effectively with the learning and knowledge that we have. Uh, and, uh, and as well, uh, continuing in that process, recognizing that we need to be delivering a solution, not just a capability. Great. Um, I'm now gonna pass over to my colleague, Dave, uh, who will, who will uh, share with you our first case study. Thanks, Tim. Um, so in this section, I will cover the first of our two case studies, which are intended to essentially demonstrate and validate the methodology that we've described. Uh, in this case, the first case study is about project identification. So for those of you who aren't asset managers, I'll sort of explain what that means. So um, essentially what we wanted to do is to see whether we could train a machine learning model to uh, reproduce uh, the, the treatment selection and the treatment timing decisions of an expert pavement asset management manager. And um, to do so using pavement inventory data, condition data, traffic data and other environmental inputs. And the target would be for it to produce either the programmed or delivered treatments as outputs. Now, um, going back to some, some of the themes that we've sort of discussed in the previous webinar and Chindong and, um, and Tim touched on, the, the sort of approach that we would like to take is a decision support paradigm. And so what that means is that rather than uh, essentially automating this process, we instead seek to uh, take the, um, we, we instead intend to sort of assist and enhance the expert in the process. So how would that work? Well, uh, we conceive that what it would do is, is the, the machine learning could produce an initial list of treatment and project recommendations and then the expert can take that you know, uh, and, and develop it further, uh, improving any sort of weaknesses or areas where they disagree. But also they could contrast that to their own project decisions and sort of provoke sort of further discussion and thought because um, you know, maybe it could suggest sort of alternative uh, treatments that the expert may not have thought of. And so what is the opportunity? You know, what, what is difficult about pavement asset management? I think probably the sort of one big takeaway I would have is that uh, the huge number of decisions that are needed to be made just because of the, the vast sort of spatial extent of uh, road networks um, and, uh, and the granularity of sort of typical project decisions means that you, you've just got to make so many decisions about so many different parts of the network. And you've got to do that with a limited amount of, of data about the current condition of the, of the network, 
because sensing and measuring that, that huge extent is also costly and expensive. And so what that means is that difficult inference about current condition and future conditions, you know, relies really heavily on expertise, which is you know, expensive and you know, difficult to maintain, um, you know, in response to sort of staff turnover and limited availability of experts who know a given road network. So, you know, how might an AI ML uh, enhanced process help that? Well, firstly, we can imagine that it might take, it might be quicker to calibrate models to a current road network if we can leverage the machine learning. It might reduce the number of expert hours we need to complete that, that calibration. Uh, and improve consistency. So, so one of the sort of issues that was discussed with the working group is that there are differences in decision making between experts, and it's hard to sort of say whether one decision is better than another. Often, it really isn't clear. Um, but, um, but potentially, sort of with a bigger evidence base uh, to support these complex, vast number of decisions, you know, there could be improved consistency. And um, and all of this sort of un, you know as a as a proof of concept as a case study it underpins this sort of preparation for newer and bigger data sets in other in other domains so uh, not just about pavements but also for example bridges drainage line marking etc so hopefully we can learn from this case study so. In consultation with the working group, the representation that we chose to uh, use for this for this case study was a two-stage approach. So firstly, we would uh, make uh, independent predictions about each short fixed length section of the road network. And then secondly, we would cluster those predictions into you know, candidate projects that can have a variable length. And then those candidate projects would be handed over for expert review. And so um, yeah, really a lot of what we did was then sort of dependent on this framing of the problem and it sort of goes back to why, you know, in our view, like the representation you choose is so critical um, to success. Yeah, thanks to the working group, we obtained data from four member authorities in New South Wales, New Zealand, uh, Victoria and Western Australia. And uh, we, we, we obtained data about Ford's works programs in three of those um, locations and delivered works program in the other. We got a lot of pavement uh, inventory and condition data with a large number of different features that could be used for prediction. We experimented with a lot of that, which is discussed in the report, but just a sort of snapshot of some of the most common input features that we use there, uh, just for your information. Now, um, one of the things about this project is that all of the code uh, for the solution that we developed is uh, available on Ostroads GitHub. And you know, it's, it's our hope that that code will be useful in future projects. As we mentioned, uh, one of the most time consuming parts of, uh, of, of a typical sort of AI ML project is sort of you know, assembly, you know, collating, pre-processing all of the data into a format where it can be used by machine learning. And, uh, and so all of the code for that is there. And so that could be useful in projects that aren't just about, you know, treatment decision making, it could be any other sort of you know, condition forecast or something else. Um, so some of the steps that are involved and covered in that code base include you know, creating you know, a consistent set of indices for all locations and directions within the network, uh, dividing the network into short sections, and then taking the you know, measurements about the network condition um, aren't necessarily aligned to the times of, uh, of which you want to make a decision or infer condition. And so we also uh, performed interpolation of those measurements in time and in space. So you know, if you've got different granularity of spatial measurements, we can sort of interpolate that into any sort of consistent 
you know, resolution. And I think in the previous webinar there was a question about you know, how, how do you do this? So how do you how do you make sure you take, for example, the most recent measurement prior to asking a question, uh, and then use that for inference? And so all of that code is available. Um, we also explored the data and um, sort of understood, you know, you know, which features are more complete and up to date, and what time ranges are available. And then a big step is feature encoding, which essentially means like preparing all of the data to make it suitable for machine learning. And, and that there's quite a lot of sort of subtlety involved there. And again, all of that code is available. All right. So. In this case study, uh, we asked the machine learning to make treatment decisions about a specific individual section of the road network. And so that's essentially a binary classification problem, so treat or don't treat. However, we also asked it to make predictions about four future time horizons. So from the moment of asking the question, typically um, you'd want to plan treatments within the coming year, years two to three, years four to five, and years six to 10. There's four time horizons. And we also asked it to do six uh, relatively common treatment types. And so, you know, for each for each section of the road network, at each date that you ask the question, you've got four times six is 24 different treatment decisions. So you remember I mentioned just how many decisions are needed to sort of manage a road network. So hopefully that is an illustration of that. And just to make that a bit more, you know, visual and intuitive, um, this is what we're asking the machine learning to do. Essentially, the matrix on the left, you've got a row for every section of the road network, and the columns are the input features like adjusted for the particular date of asking the question. That's a, one row of that matrix is fed into the machine learning model. That's the description of a road section. And then it's asked to produce the matrix on the right, which essentially is a, a true or false, a one or a zero. You know, should you apply a particular treatment in a particular time horizon? So you've, your treatments there are the rows, you've got SS for spray seal, AC for asphaltic concrete, and then the time horizon is year one, years two to three, et cetera. All right, so that's our model. And now we're gonna talk a bit about the results and sort of how we sort of analyzed and presented those. There's a lot to unpack. You'll see that in the report, there's a number of charts like these. So I'm going to sort of explain how you can read these. Um, this chart here actually is really three different plots uh, for three separate different treatment types. So at the top, you've got resurfacing uh, spray seal. In the middle, you've got resurfacing asphaltic concrete. And the bottom, you've got rehabilitation. So let's just focus on one of those treatments. In this case, the top one, the spray seal. And um, the chart also covers the four time horizons that we're asking the machine learning to predict. So year one on the, is the first column, year two to three, years four to five, and years five to 10. So again, let's zoom in a bit more and just focus on the treatments in the, in the coming year. So the y-axis of the plot, the score, the metric that we're actually using to assess performance here is F-score, which is a combination of precision and recall. Like you might have thought, well, why didn't you use something like accuracy as, as a default? And we did, we do actually report accuracy and other metrics as well. But in in a typical uh, road network, the vast number of sections uh, do not receive most treatments in most years, which means that you can actually get very high accuracy just by saying don't treat anything ever. Um, F-score gives you a, a more sort of balanced uh, reporting of, of all of the treatment decisions you should make and all the treatment decisions you shouldn't make. And so we prefer that as a better representation of, of performance. 
Now, there's four colored blobs you can see in the chart there. Um, each, each different color is one of the different data sets. And they're blobs because um, essentially we, we conducted the experiment on many different samples of the data set uh, just to see if, if the performance was dependent on some particular road sections that were more predictable or if there were some sections that were very sort of you know, poorly modeled. And as you can see, all those little blobs, they're all quite tight. So in this case, it's fairly consistent. The shaded area at the top is intended to provide context about the results, like, you know, how good is good enough? Now, we had a discussion with the working group and, um, and that discussion yeah, was, was around how much agreement do you tend to get between experts on an individual treatment decision? And the answer was somewhere between sort of, you know, 50% and, you know, two-thirds agreement. So we sort of took that as our sort of target area. If we can achieve the same level as of, in, of agreement between machine learning and the historical treatment decisions, then we're sort of you know, approaching the same sort of performance as like human expert, you know, inter-expert agreement. There's also some red lines you can see at the bottom there. And, and the reason those are there is that machine learning often sort of does very stupid things that you know, look like it's doing something clever. And so those red lines represent a number of naive strategies for sort of guessing the correct answer, just to make sure that it's really doing something. It's not just sort of you know, getting lucky. It turns out the answer is always zero, for example, right? So as long as our, our blobs are a long way above the red lines, it means it's actually contributing something intelligent. So going back to the overall results, um, the first sort of takeaways is that the uh, performance of the machine learning models is way better than all of those naive or chance level strategies, the red lines, for pretty much all the data sets, all the treatments and all the time horizons. So it's looking good that, you know, as a, as a sort of proof of concept, you know, is this looking feasible? The answer is pretty much yes. Um, for a lot of the time horizons and a lot of the, uh, a lot of the treatments, um, their performance is sort of getting into that you know, expected inter-expert agreement zone, right? So it means that, you know, the, the machine learning is generating um, treatment recommendations that are sort of, you know, on the sort of level of performance of um, typical inter-expert agreement. And, um, you know, th th there's various things that could be done to sort of improve these results, but we're just focused on, you know, validating the feasibility of this approach so we, we thought that's sufficient. Now, we were really interested in understanding whether we could create a sort of universal um, model for predicting uh, treatment decisions that could be applied to all Austroads member authority road networks. So, you know, the kind of use case that would support might be an experienced, um, you know, asset manager who wants to sort of develop decision-making criteria for a new network and wants to accelerate that. Or perhaps they want to sort of adopt a new treatment that hasn't previously been used on a particular network. So, so essentially to do that, we would train our machine learning model on one or more member authority data sets and then apply that trained model to another data set which we'd have never seen before. Now, we came to a fairly strong conclusion that it's actually not feasible to do that at the current time and for three reasons. Firstly, the differences in the feature availability. So even sort of trying to sort of reduce that to a very common subset. Um, there's differences in the way that data is measured and collected, uh, which, which mean that you can't easily find a large number of common features and reducing the features reduces the sort of power of the model. 
Um, there's also statistical differences in the condition and the sort of content, the constitution of the road network um, between different member authorities. So the, these are fundamentally different networks. And perhaps as a result of that, the third reason is that you know, the, the target label frequency and the sort of association with the different conditions is different between member authorities, like the decision-making criteria are different. So it's unsurprising that it's not possible to, um, to train on one data set and then apply that to another. Now the, the working group also really interested in understanding the behaviour of the machine learning models. And I think this was really important for um, sort of having confidence in, in the models. You know, what are they doing? What values of what features are driving the model to give those treatment decisions? So to sort of try and unpack that and understand it, we created uh, a matrix like the one on the right for each of the different treatments and uh, each of the different input features that were sort of common to multiple data sets. And we asked our subject matter experts, you know, should this feature make a difference, you know, drive the treatment decision for, drive this treatment decision in this time horizon? And if it should, like what direction should it have? So should higher traffic, you know, increase the chance of a rehabilitation treatment in years two, three, for example? And um, we then, analyze the machine learning model to extract the same information from the model and we look to see uh, whether all of uh, across all of those features and all of those treatments you know does the model is the model consistent with the experts expectation about how that feature should affect the uh, treatment decisions and the sort of we we're very pleased that the sort of overall result was that yes in fact um, we had a very high level of agreement between the model uh, learned sort of uh, feature effects and how that drove decisions. And um, we also sort of looked into the inconsistencies. So a lot of the inconsistencies, when we sort of challenged the sort of experts and said, hey, you said this, but the data and the model says this, often the data would support the model and sort of presenting that back, it would actually sort of yield insight that of course, you know, oh yeah, we know that, but it only applies in these circumstances. So, so it really sort of drove a lot of really interesting discussions about, you know, which values, what features really you know, drive treatment decisions. Often, you know, you can't reduce the decision-making to just individual variable effects. And that's, so there's a limitation to this and it's understandable that you wouldn't get agreement between models and experts on all of the effects. Okay. And, so that concludes the first case study. Um, just to summarise the sort of key findings that we made there. Uh, our first was that, um, you know, essentially a positive validation that yeah, member authorities typically do possess the data to successfully train machine learning models to assist the project identification decision process. Um, and we can reproduce the you know, agency specific historical practice and um, and the good news is that the behaviours the model learned, as I discussed, are generally consistent with pavement engineering principles. We also found that it was not possible to generalise this model across member authority data sets due to you know, differences in network characteristics, differences in condition measurements and differences in the decision making processes. So, you know, maybe that's something that could be developed in the future, but it's not currently feasible. Okay, and with that, I'm going to hand over to Tim, who's going to talk to you a bit about the second case study. Thank you, Dave. Yes, uh, our second case study uh, orientates around multi-criteria um, uh, funding allocation and the case here of recognising that uh, particular, particularly the application of machine learning and artificial intelligence to 
uh, to uh, road, road investment decision making at a, at a higher level. Recognizing that there are, uh, I guess, through, through the common problem that exists around multi-criteria funding um, allocation, um, that there are, uh, you know, most organizations apply uh, a single a variable funding allocation, uh, and yet we and we have a very complex uh, roading network with many different functions and many different needs across metro, regional, as the cases here in New Zealand, urban, rural, uh, freight, non-freight, and we can focus only on one of those one of those things. Uh, but you know we we operate in a very uh, in an environment where we need to be considering many more particular needs of use of our roads. And uh, how do we make sure that we, we cover that fully? So our problem, uh, our problem statement was, was really to recognize that, that these things uh, may be, look, may be uh, reviewed independently, uh, but a case of us needing to consider this much broader, more complex uh, optimization challenge that exists for road investment decision makers uh, and is a very heavily manual process at that. So uh, a case of, of, of us doing uh, providing uh, a uh, machine learning, or, well, in this case, an optimization uh, that could enable a, a greater simplicity in that, in that process. Uh, I'm now going to hand back to Dave to, to share about our approach and how we delivered it. Thanks, Tim. Um, so uh, the, the approach we took was really to try and shed light on um, the sort of possible outcomes that could be achieved. So again, we're sort of looking to sort of inform stakeholders and experts on the, the sort of the different level of service outcomes that they could achieve with different combinations of funding allocations to the various criteria. So, for example, in in our in our case study, we we took the sort of freight non freight and the uh, heavy vehicle versus non heavy vehicle routes as the two um, criteria that we wanted to jointly optimise. Now, in in uh, in the literature and in existing solutions, um, you know, multi criteria optimisation has been sort of tackled fairly widely and, and you know optimization is a pretty mature uh, you know, you know, field and, and given modern computers like it with this sort of scale of problem is actually pretty practical to explore the entire penalty space. So what do I mean by penalty space? Well if you want to prefer one part of the network, so for example the regional part of the network, then you can apply a penalty to all of the road sections or all of the roads in the uh, in the metropolitan area. And that penalty will reduce the number of metropolitan rows that are selected in the final solution. So the problem is what penalty value should you use? And that's where we can inform with the visualization. Um, and, and so this, this is essentially what we came up with. Um, like many of the plots in this presentation, there's quite a lot to unpack. So I'll, I'll quickly sort of explain how to read this. The surface on the right, if you can see, it kind of looks a bit like an island sticking out of the sea. The sea is red in this case. And um, each of the dots in that surface represents an optimization outcome that you can achieve in, given the current network conditions and the range of treatments available and up to a maximum budget. The color of the dots represents how much of the budget is used. And the coordinates of the dots represent um, both the, the two funding allocation criteria. So one axis is the metropolitan regional split and the other axis is the freight non-freight split. 
the, the vertical axis is the level of service that is achieved in that optimization outcome. The red surface of the sea essentially is the, is the level of service that was achieved in the selected plan. So what's interesting is you can see that um, there are different funding allocation combinations that achieve a higher level of service, um, but obviously you know, offsetting the level of investment in the different parts of the network. What's really interesting is not only are there uh, different funding allocations that achieve higher or lower levels of service overall, but also there's these discontinuities. They look like tears in the surface. And so what those tears mean is that even a small change in the funding allocation potentially has big implications for the network level of service, and particularly on, on different uh, parts of the road network. So um, essentially, the, the methodology we created is, is to sort of systematically explore um, that space of different funding allocations and then provide that as a visual so you can see that the, the possible uh, funding splits that, and the level of service that they achieve. The really good thing, if you remember, I mean, our methodology really focuses on, you know, finding ways to sort of integrate uh, what you've done into a solution, finding ways to sort of generate positive outcomes from this. So we explored, well, how would you use this um, given current funding allocation decision-making? And the good news is that this system fits really easily into um, existing, typically sort of uh, existing decision-making, which is typically driven by um, pavement management system optimization. And if you take a typical pavement management system and you sort of produce an unconstrained output for all uh, roads. Uh, you can then run our proposed analysis. Um, as before, like the, uh, all of the code for this is available on OSROADS GitHub. So if you want to apply this to your network, you can. Um, so you run that analysis and generate that surface and then have that conversation with key sort of stakeholders and asset managers, sort of yeah, understand the implications of those different funding allocation results and the level of service that would be implied. Then you select the outcome that you want in terms of the funding allocation and you can retrieve the penalties that, that, that we use to obtain it, put those penalties into your existing optimizer and then generate um, the solution that was promised. So fairly sort of small change to the existing process and then potentially you can you sort of achieve that visibility over the potential funding allocation results and, um, and then integrate that into workflows. Okay, and with that, I'll hand back to Tim. Thanks, Dave. Um, so, so looking at case study two uh, and our key findings, uh, decision support tools can facilitate uh, uh, multi-criteria uh, prioritization and, uh, and achieve uh, optimization in outcomes uh, that, are, that are favorable. Uh, it's a case of, as well, recognizing, Dave's touched on, on the points below, uh, in what he shared already, but um, just in terms of the data that, that uh, in terms of the feasibility, uh, the data that is stored within pavement management systems can enable um, this, this particular optimization to occur if, if applied in, in, in the way, in the methodology that we've shown. Um, the, uh, in terms of compatibility, uh, that uh, when it comes to, to the actual uh, optimization and of these and use of decision support tools, uh, they can inform key decisions uh, in a way that helps with with projected workflows. Uh, we recognise the complexity and and difficulty uh, that can occur here, uh, and as Dave pointed out, 
Uh, all of the script that we've developed from this case study and from case study one are available for you to download directly from the Austroads website for our project. Now, to close, uh, I'm going to provide you with, a, with a, a perspective around our project recommendations. Uh, the way that we've formed our recommendations is particular to strategic, tactical and operational for Austroads. Uh, and uh, the number one uh, recommendation, the one at the very top here, uh, that really uh, will, will aid and guide all of the other recommendations is the development of an Austroads-led governance group particular to machine learning and artificial intelligence, uh, where we're able to, to uh, uh, guided by the Assets Task Force, uh, provide uh, there can be uh, a connection uh, with regards to, this, to the application of technology across the different road agencies, understanding and reviewing and reporting around uh, what has been developed, what has been discovered, uh, and also understanding how we can improve collaboration uh, across uh, the member agencies and consulting consulting teams. Um, uh, recognizing uh, the opportunity to adopt digital tools and frameworks in support of existing Austroads investment in the data in the Austroads data standard uh, and in the Austroads digital engineering framework. Um, all really valuable areas and and, and uh, I can see opportunity to develop more in the data quality areas as a consequence of, of our project with, with these others. Uh, and also in recognizing the need for Austroads members to treat data as an asset, and maybe there's a space there for us to consider uh, uh, data asset management directly with regards to understanding when we invest in data, uh, what happens to that data, where is the deterioration of that, when do we need to invest more in a very similar uh, life cycles uh, and um, uh, 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 asset life perspective. Uh, tactically, uh, for Austroads to maintain uh, an AI and ML research knowledge base that is, that is accessible to all through web portal uh, and increasing knowledge sharing through webinar series and mini conferences. Uh, operationally, uh, for Austroads to initiate an ongoing research program in machine learning and, and artificial intelligence, uh, that, that really what we have developed as using this as a starting point to develop further, um, uh, having our code openly accessible, where that can lead and develop further for the benefit of member agencies across Australasia. Uh, and based on the success of the research program, really looking to build uh, people capability, building that data science capability across agencies uh, to give uh, opportunity for uh, where there can be collaborations across smaller councils to find ways forward such that this technology is accessible to everyone. Uh, and in the formation of centres of excellence uh, that can, across Australia and New Zealand, that can aid in that process. Cool. Um, thank you all for attending. Uh, and uh, we've now reached the end of our presentation. Uh, and we're now going to move to our question time. Uh, that will be led by Chindong. Thank you, Dave. And I also would like to invite David to join the panel.
Thanks, Chindon. Cool. Thank you, Chindon. We received many, many questions, so I have to prioritize it. So uh, the first question is uh, for the slide 15. I think it's a team session. It's a talk about on the second line, capability and the solution transposed. Hmm? So I guess the question is answered. Whether we should swap the capability and the solution in that statement on page 15. Okay. I, think, I think that that's one that we because that was sort of in the recap of the methodology but, um, we, we sort of did a bit of a deep dive on on the differences between you know, demonstrating a capability versus you know, delivering a solution in the previous webinar so I, I don't know if it answers the question but um, but maybe worth sort of having a look at, at, at some of that content yeah so the yeah. statement is this focus on demonstrating a capability rather than a solution. I think this question is about should we demonstrate the a solution rather than capability? Yeah. So so definitely definitely we should um so the, the the way that that slide is phrased is is that is the obstacle is like the mistake people make is that they become focused on on um demonstrating this capability with what they should be doing is 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 delivering a solution. And so um yeah, so 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 definitely, what you should do is the opposite of what's on that slide. That slide is sort of illustrating the, um, the sort of ways people come unstuck. Okay, thanks. Uh, the next one, I guess, is for Dev. So the question is on slide twenty-seven. If the sample set is one hundred meters, then it will be considerable amount of data to be generated and analyzed by experts to come into a definitive solution. Can we increase it into a typical section, whether it's a 500 meters or 17 kilometers? Okay, yeah, sure. So um, so basically the, the data, the, the code that's provided on GitHub actually has two main options for the data set indexing. So one is, oh, sorry, for the sectioning. So one option is to sort of reuse an existing um, section breakdown from the data set. Um, and the other is to sort of apply a fixed length sectioning. And, and both of those are, are compatible with the code base. So if you have an alternative um, way of sort of dividing it up into you know, longer or variable length sectioning, that's also possible as well. Thanks, Steph. The next question is for a team. I think, can machine learning review the deterioration model and suggest modification based on the analyzed data? Hmm. Uh, yeah, it is, a, it is a case for uh, what I, I guess it, it points back again to our, our presentation from yesterday, um, that we, we talk about that uh, in, in uh, in certain detail there with regard to a solution. Um, certainly it's a case of we recognize that there are different assets, uh, different assets deteriorate at, at different rates and there are, there are certainly challenges around, around modeling this generally, uh, but um, it's a case of, of there's been a lot of work uh, done in this area over many years 
and uh, really the machine learning space helps to helps I guess as a I, can, I see it more as an accelerant to what we are what has already been invested in that the models that have been defined and derived uh, can can we can learn more as a consequence of getting the machines to grind out the results uh, than if we were only to look at it uh, on a manual basis ourselves. Um, any thoughts there, Dave? Or oh, it, it, probably just to, to sort of add to that, that um, um, you know, one of one of the things we wanted to do is sort of break new ground in terms of you know the, these these case studies, and um, there has been quite a bit of work already on sort of uh, you know forecasting condition by modelling deterioration, um, both based on engineering principles and using machine learning as well, um, and we thought about sort of reusing some of that in this project. Um, but there's so many different methods out there, and then we thought, well, okay, let's let's assume that you don't you know, use any of that. You just force our machine learning model to implicitly do that as part of the the treatment process that it's trying to learn, and um, that seemed to be relatively successful. Now, definitely an improvement to what we've done would be to um, use a, a better method of explicitly forecasting the deterioration and, and determining the condition of the network, and then using that data set as an input to the types of models that we develop for treatment decision making. Probably I can add a little bit more on this uh, question. Uh, Major Stabley, uh, two years ago, we did a machine learning exercise to uh, review our current deterioration, pavement deterioration modeling models. So we used the machine learning to cluster our whole state into six uh, zones, and then we refined the individual models for the individual row, uh, zone, which gives a much better uh, result. I think, I think there's a greater potential we use a machine learning approach to refine our deterioration model. Okay, so let's move to the next one. Um, so this one is about, uh, can we add photos of the defects from the side observation? And the machine learning can take that into account. This depends highly on the data accuracy and decision model maturity. Decision making criteria must be consistent as well, but the criteria for one may not apply for the other areas. Uh, Dev, you want to have a go? Yeah, sure. Thanks. Um, so I think um, you know when you're dealing with sort of image or video data, the dimensionality is so much higher than the tabular data that was used in some of these methods. One of your problems is reducing the dimensionality of that data down to you know a few numbers that can be then you know combined with some of the other tabular data. So if you sort of separate that problem into a computer vision machine learning system that essentially turns the um, you know the presence of a defect in a particular location you know into just a, a yes or a no or a numeric score or something like that uh, we don't need or when we when we're dealing with treatment decisions we don't need to know everything about the appearance of that of that defect maybe just we need to know where it is you know or potentially on a section of road how many defects are present and how severe they are and, and and that's the input for the treatment decision making. And it's we would sort of suggest maybe it's a separate problem to do the defect identification and, and probably the you know the techniques for computer vision would be quite different as well. Chindong, do you think that, that covers yeah. that one? Yeah, thank you, Dev. Uh, next one is the any stretch codes value 
of the budget can be identified for definition of a level of services. Is the team you want to have a go? The staff? Uh, I, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm not sure actually, maybe more a question for Dave. I think if it's referring to the chart with um, you know, the, the, that sort of surface, the island. Slide the 44. Sorry. <laughs> Think about slide 44. Oh, thank you. In, if it, this one, I, I guess. Um, oh, yeah, that is 44. So, um, yeah, here the, the colouring is essentially the budget used, and you could set any budget you want there. Um, essentially, that's a constraint on the optimization process, so that, that's just an input parameter. Um, so, you know, if, you, if you download the code from GitHub, you can you can play with that. Yeah. Thank you. The next one is, does these models allow you to work out which is the best parameter to improve your measurements or increase number of measurements to get the best pair of bug? in improving model prediction? I think I could have a go at this one if you like, Jindong. Um, so I think it would be a different problem to sort of, you know, um, there's a whole domain called sensor scheduling, which is about sort of determining, you know, where and when you should you should look to gain new information and maximise the value of that information. So where it's expensive, to measure, you can sort of use those kind of approaches to you know, opt optimise the collection of information. So probably, you know, some of the code we've got for sort of understanding the ro road network inventory and, and condition you know, could be reused there, but um, you'd probably want to develop something specifically for that for that problem about, you know, where, where should you uh, collect more information to optimise your understanding of current network condition. Mm. Uh, just to add as well, there's uh, I guess you know on the basis of the amount of investment in IoT, the volumes of data uh, you know are increasing on a scale where um, I guess our research is showing certain results, um, and it's a case of of really we've we've done our best to form a foundation that can be built from for the future, uh, and a case of of recognising for particular use cases in particular environmental situations. Um, those those uh, those measurements of sensitivity uh, may need to be refined a bit, but um, I guess our aim has been to really start to provide that that uh, that sound uh, foundation to begin. Thank you, Tim. The next question is: What are the limitations of this approach? For example, does it reflect the past practice only? If the practice is not appropriate, is there scope to improve it? Well, I think one of the things we sort of discovered, uh, we, we covered in the previous webinar was um, there was a slide about how understanding um, the behaviour of machine learning models that improved like human Go players. And um, I think one of the sort of themes that we've had is, is just how much sort of, you know, visualising and understanding um, model treatment decisions can really sort of spur discussion. So, yeah, when, I think when, when I was talking about the uh, the consistency between the subject matter experts and the um, 
and the machine learning models like when we drilled down into the differences um, it was always sort of very insightful and, and sort of led and helped us to sort of understand new things about the data so i think if you want to go beyond the models themselves need a data set to train on and um you know you, so so that's inherently sort of historical you could filter it you could combine it with other data sets but but just sort of exploring and understanding it i think you could use that to sort of enhance your future decision making as well thank you Dev. uh probably i can add a little one another story on this uh when we first time got the high speed cracking data we did some machine learning try to compare the high speed cracking data with the our inspector visual inspection result. The result showed that the human inspectors had a very heavy bias when they did the inspection, which leads to our decision say, okay, in the future we should move away from the visual inspection from the cracking to use the high speed cracking machine collected information. Because that's the basically answer the question that they improved our if the practice was right, machine learning basically help us understand where the problem, then we can move to the better solution. I conscious the time, probably let's make the last one. This is a question about what's the plan for us to promote the machine learning to provide training or knowledge sharing opportunity for the machine learning and AI models. So we have this project has a recommendation. We recommend the Australians should take a leadership to promote and to provide assistance for the road agency to use this kind of technology. So we will discuss this thing on the task and set a task force and try to get the ball rolling. So uh, just. Uh, <laughs> Keep it to the patient. We need to take some time to digest the stuff and make a decision. Okay, so I guess Anthony, I, we can conclude the uh, Q&A session and the thanks team and the David for the excellent presentation and for the work. Anthony, over to you. Thanks, Chin Dong. And a big thank you to uh, David and Tim as well for today's webinar. Uh, before we finish up for today, we'd just like to share some webinars we have coming up in the next few weeks. Of particular interest to you may be the road deterioration model update happening on Tuesday, the 7th of March. In this webinar, we will present an overview of the methodology used to update Ostrode's road deterioration models and the objectives and outcomes of the project. For more information and to register, please visit the Ostroads website. After we close out today's session, a questionnaire will appear on your screen. Please take a couple of minutes to send us your feedback. It really helps us to know what you liked or didn't like about the sessions and what suggestions you have for our future webinars. Once again, today's session is being recorded and we'll send you the link to the recording when it is published on our website. Thanks again to everyone. Stay well and safe and enjoy the rest of your day.